Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is James Bedall, and I'm the head of international sales for Lion Trust. And I would like to uh, broadly welcome you to the Global Fixed Income webinar this morning. Hopefully, you can all see the slides through the, the Bright Talk system that we are using. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by David Roberts and Phil Milburn, who I shall pass over to shortly. Um, firstly, just a couple of points with regards to this call and this webinar. This is the first in uh, a series of webinars which we intend to do at Lion Trust. So we're hoping to have a monthly uh, global fixed income update for all of our investors across Europe and the UK um, so that we can have a touch point in, for fixed income markets, markets for our investors um, uh, as we move through what are quite jittery moments in, in markets. The next call will take place on Friday the 3rd of April at the same time, 10 o'clock in the UK, 11 o'clock in the morning in the rest of Europe. Um, and we shall be updating you with the dates uh, uh, beyond that. We intend to do that every month from now on. Uh, you will have the opportunity to ask questions via the system, so please do not hesitate to do that, and we will deal with those questions uh, at the end of the presentation. Uh, we shall also make sure that we answer any questions that we have not had the time to deal with during the pre presentation. There will also be a recording um, of today's presentation, and we, we welcome your feedback as well, and that recording will be in the form of a podcast as well. So I'd like to draw your attention to the presentation. I shall talk for roughly one more minute before handing over to, to, to the real deal. Um, so if you'd like to look at page one, obviously these are, these are the members of our global fixed income team. A lot of you will have met with David, Phil, and Donald. They joined Lion Trust in early 2018. Uh, and shortly after that, we launched three strategies, a strategic bond fund, an absolute return bond fund, and a high yield fund. And if you move forward to the next slide, please, and uh, you'll see a little bit more information on, on the process. Today's call is designed to talk about markets and not process, but we invest in core bonds and only bonds and liquid, large, and listed. Uh, we've raised over $1.1 billion since, uh, since the launch as at uh, January 2020. We're very pleased with that. Um, and we look forward to continuing to work with our clients across Europe. Uh, the final slide that I'm going to comment on is performance so far, before we hand over to the market overview and positioning of these three strategies, given the current market backdrop. As you can see, the returns have been strong, uh, especially from a risk-adjusted point of view. We're very pleased with the sharp ratios that our strategies are displaying showing that you know, we, we believe that, that our approach to investing uh, can add alpha uh, without taking unnecessary levels of risk, especially at, uh, at the moment when uh, certain parts of the bond market are as expensive as they have ever been. Um, with, uh, with that, I'm going to hand over to David, who's going to speak to you for roughly 15 minutes about uh, our view on markets, and it's pretty good timing given what's going on. So over to you, please, David. Uh, yeah, thank you, James, and thanks, everyone, for dialing in. I'd say we, we get quite a few more than we expected for the inaugural uh, meeting. Uh, just to reiterate what James said, we, we are happy to take questions. Um, you can submit those to us. We already have quite a lot. No surprise, I guess, given uh, what's going on in markets. 
I'll probably keep this a little bit shorter than the 15 minutes coming back to James' point and what I've just said. You know, I think people are probably more more interested to focus on the here and now rather than on slides we put together two or three weeks ago. But if we start off, I think um, it's very, very important to realize how strong a position the global economy was in, uh, certainly in December and early January this year. And this, the table on the slide that you're now seeing is designed just to highlight that that even after 10 or 11 years, the cycle uh, is old, but um, has continued to uh, uh, provide very strong uh, levels of real and certainly nominal growth compared with what we might have expected. Um, clearly, um, you know, see that these numbers, uh, the numbers from the IMF, the World Bank, and the OECD, um, will be revised down uh, as we go through the course of um, the, the current crisis. Uh, I think it's interesting to note that the amount that the IMF so far have suggested will be shaved off global growth is less than they were adding back uh, for the, pretend, the partial resolution of the trade war between the US uh, and China. Um, clearly, um, certainly from our perspective, we, we expect growth in the first quarter, the first half, to be materially lower uh, than, it has, uh, than it is currently forecast to be by those organizations. Having said that, um, just on uh, the impact of uh, current events, there seems to be, um, I would say, a bit of a panic. Understandably, uh, people seeking the safe haven uh, that is government bonds. Uh, and the point of the next five to ten minutes really is just to remind people how expensive and risky that market is. Um, the other thing uh, that clearly is being uh, not really being talked about much is the potential inflationary impact of disruptions to supply chains, assuming uh, demand holds up. Um, and if we have a little look at um, the real source, the real driver uh, of demand over the course of the last few years, we uh, we will see that um, that that driver continues at the moment uh, to remain very much in place. We know um, that there have been material issues, uh, especially in Europe and to an extent China, with respect to production. So in Europe, we look at the poor economic performance of Germany and Italy, uh, really the manufacturing hub uh, of the continent, and really didn't, uh, weren't particularly surprised when the biggest hit perhaps of the trade war last year uh, was to those uh, economies. And I think, though, that if we um, sort of fast forward to today, um, we're in a magnified but still very similar situation where at present, uh, certainly in Western markets, and, and it would seem that it, there's a small degree of rebound in China, that at present uh, consumption seems to be holding up. Uh, and part of the reason for that clearly has been um, good old-fashioned economics, Namely, the relationship, uh, those things that people talk about, um, Phillips curves, they talk about Taylor rules, they talk about a thing called NERU, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. All things which, um, relationships which have been stressed and in many cases dismissed over the past decade. But what we've seen in the last one or two years is material wage inflation uh, starting to come into economies such as the US, uh, the UK, and indeed in Germany too, where consumers now uh, are receiving uh, incomes that are above inflation, uh, and as a result, stimulating economic activity and growth. 
Now, clearly, um, if that um, pattern of consumption starts to break down uh, as a result of the viral uh, impacts, certainly in the short term we would expect that. But as long as that doesn't continue for several quarters, um, then there are reasons to be confident in the medium to longer term uh, with respect to risk assets. Um, I guess the only thing I would add, uh, and it's you know, an observation rather than something that we, we can quantify, but this type of virus hitting today in what I would describe as the internet generation, where something like a quarter of purchases in the Western world are done online, um, is in some ways, I guess you could say, a comfort. Um, if everything is delivered by Amazon, for example, rather than requiring people to run out to the shops to buy goods, um, then perhaps, um, firstly, in terms of containment, that helps, and secondly, in terms of economic activity, perhaps we are better placed today than we would have been 20 years ago uh, to see uh, consumption either hold up or return to normal, uh, hopefully in, in a matter of months. If we move on slightly, though, one of the things that concerns us about the chase for bonds, now, we absolutely understand people's desire to protect portfolios, but we have to note the extraordinary decade we have had uh, with respect to falling yields, meaning the starting point for investors is incredibly expensive. Now, the, the up-to-date uh, data, I'll give in a second, but as you can see from this table, we have had a collapse of yields, uh, not just in the Western world, but pretty much globally uh, since the, uh, September 2008 uh, and the last, I, I would argue, great global crisis. Those yields are even lower, uh, especially in somewhere like uh, the U.S., uh, where yields have fallen to about 1.2% from 1.8% uh, in uh, December. So the key here is for anyone chasing bonds, perhaps in the short term, understandably, in the longer term, uh, as James said in the introduction, many markets are now back to all-time record highs uh, in terms of price. In terms of um, rate cuts, the United States market is already pricing in between three and four cuts through the course of 2020. Um, we would also perhaps argue that the impact of rate cuts is uh, certainly from current levels is unlikely to have much of an impact, certainly on confidence and consumption. Could perhaps put a float under risk assets. Uh, we would suggest that's a different uh, uh, metric. Uh, and uh, from our perspective, something that we've been talking about for several years um, is a need for fiscal policy to um, supplement anything that happens on the monetary side. And looking at um, bond yields in, in the, the longer term is to compare them with inflation. Uh, I'm not going to spend much time on this chart because we, we know that value, which we would argue doesn't really exist for bond investors, value is really only part of the equation important to understand that the low level of bond yields today is quite extraordinary. Now, we have been down at this type of level a couple of times in the past, but generally with inflation much lower uh, than where it's starting from today. Uh, just to give you an example, um, the latest G7 inflation numbers are suggesting that headline inflation across the G7 is 1.83%. There is no inflation. Obviously, that number is quite close to central bank targets. Um, 
Secondly, if we look at the 20-year average for CPI across the G7, we find it's actually lower um, than today's rate. So what that basically means is people are continuing to buy bonds at incredibly expensive levels in absolute terms and even more expensive levels when compared with inflation, which as we know uh, is one of the biggest enemies uh, for long-term bond investors. If we look at another way uh, and compare the relationships then between, again, current yields, those are the yields prevailing in December, uh, and uh, inflation, we find very quickly for, that for those investing in bonds, they need either incredibly low inflation or a continuation of capital gain in the short term uh, to justify uh, investing in bonds particularly in Germany and indeed uh, to an extent also in Italy, um, we really have to pray not just for a few difficult months for the global economy, but to some extent um, for a, a further lost decade. And again, I come back to the comments I made a minute ago. Um, the current rates of inflation in, uh, in, in both Germany and Italy are quite low by historic standards. And if we simply assume uh, continuation of what we've seen for the past 10 or 20 years, uh, then the real return for bond investors from current levels is absolutely horrendous. As I say, I've run through that quite quickly. Um, I think probably we've quite a number of questions and we, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about our portfolio positioning than perhaps we would have a couple of weeks ago. Uh, from that perspective, the global economy continued to do well supported by consumption, but there is no doubt that in the short term the virus will have a major impact to a much greater extent than world forecasting bodies are currently suggesting. Bonds are incredibly expensive. They don't pay much in the way of income and offer extremely poor value. Now, we can understand people's reasons in the short term for bidding them up, especially given how scarce they are. There just simply aren't a lot around and total return in the longer term, there will definitely be a point where we must not be invested in directional rate-sensitive securities. Thankfully, within our portfolios, we do have the flexibility and indeed have the positioning to allow us um, to have scope to try to exploit current and future events, uh, hopefully for the benefit of everyone on this call. Um, a bit of a canter through um, you know, the fact that consumption continues to be very positive. I'd just like to hand over to, to Phil now um, to go into a bit more detail. Good morning, everybody. Um, we put these slides together with positioning just, well, a couple of days ago, and you'll be glad to know as active managers, they've already changed a little. A couple of things that I'd like to pull out from this slide, which has our duration positioning by major currency block and by maturity bucket. Firstly, it's just the headline duration of 2.6 years. That is actually exactly the same number we have today, but the beta within that has changed somewhat. Quick reminder for those that don't know us as well, we run zero to nine year range, four and a half years is our midpoint. Clearly coming into this crisis, the best thing could have been is limit long duration out through the benefit of hindsight but all hindsight funds are always number one over all periods. So had as much duration as one would have wished for if we'd realized the coronavirus was going to actually reach the West beyond China. But 
news, but the very good news is where we've had the duration, it's been in the great areas, those outperforming areas. Explicitly, the US continues to massively outperform the Eurozone and sterling gilt market. Uh, we've seen compression there. The US against Europe last year was referred to by some as the widow maker trade. Well, these are actually getting quite rich on this trade nowadays. Um, so that's a continued core part of the fund. Having said that, we are now starting to reduce the beta within that. Last couple of days, we've sold some US 30-year debt at pretty much record low yields. And we've rotated into a relatively laggard um, market that's included in other, with apologies, of Japan. Markets that have been doing very well, uh, New Zealand and Norway, we've been short Australia versus New Zealand, and that spread has started to compress nicely, and we're looking to um, examine taking profits there, again, emphasizing the alpha over the beta. Looking at the curve, again, we've done pretty well in the last few weeks, and we've referred shorter and mid-dated bonds. In general, what the market is anticipating here, we've seen what the jargon would be is a bull steepener within the market. What does that mean? The bull bit means yields are falling. The steepener bit means short-dated yields are falling more than long-dated yields. The rationale is relatively simple. The market, as David mentioned, is already discounting some form of central banking reaction. We're not sure that's that logical or rational, but we do think it's going to at least continue to underpin the government markets for the foreseeable future. Uh, and this is the big conversation that continues to happen in the markets. Will this be a V-shape? Will we see a short period of stagflation, as David intimated in the first quarter of this year, followed by rapid recovery? If we do, um, then any stimulus, be it fiscal or monetary, will actually long-term be even more inflationary. Medium-dated bonds are acting as that flight quality. Long-dated bonds are already starting to look at the policy response and say, ultimately, this could actually be quite an inflationary uh, event, with even Germany examining whether their black line at zero should be temporarily sacrificed. I want to express myself with my very weak German accent trying to, to injure. So on rates continue to be low, and within that, reducing the beta. The key highlight as well is we've been buying out of conventionals more tips, treasury inflation protected securities, building inflation protection at a break even of roughly 1.5% when CPI and headline CPI are about 2.2, 2.3% in the States. That seems very good to be paid 70 points premium through inflation to buy that inflation protection. Asset inflation is the next factor. On this slide, it's showing you our asset allocation since David and I um, launched this fund at Lion Trust. We've been running strategic bond funds together since 2003, and for those that want an illustrative historic track record, um, that is readily available should you desire that um, if you're struggling to sleep at night. Um, so what we've shown here, the physical colored in blocks, the hard blocks, are physical bond holdings, and then any shaded area, either above 100% or below 0%, are CPS overlaps. And we've been asked about what we've been doing in this last week or two. I've covered the duration side. 
on the asset allocation side, we've been slowly averaging into high yield. For the initial part of the market correction, the CDS indices moved before the cash bonds, and it's only been in the last day or two that the cash bonds have started to weaken. We think predominantly driven by ETF, exchange-traded fund outflows, rather than uh, pure long-only money-seeing outflows. Um, still, the case of liquidity has deteriorated, but we see that as a great thing because it means that we can hopefully pick up some bargains through the bid side of the market, and that's what we're looking to do over the next few weeks. In the meantime, what we've steadily been doing is adding some high-yield exposure using CDS indices. We've from a defensive positioning of 10% in our 0 to 40 range, 20 being the midpoint, and we've taken that to roughly 20%, approximately neutral, give or take a little bit. Investment grade has been a little below 50% our neutral point, and with that, it's pretty defensive, mainly um, conventional credit as opposed to financials, no corporate hybrids, no additional tier one or anything like that. So we're defensive coming into this, but clearly all credit spreads are currently widening, and we're just about managing to maintain um, flat total returns with the duration offsetting credit widening. Examining um, it, we've had a few bits of extra, what I'd call um, insurance in the fund. We had a position using CDS indices. These are all the ones that you can get on the CDX screen on Bloomberg, where we're short financials, long conventional credit, um, very tight differential, and that has widened over the last week or two, particularly given the fact that Italy has been the epicenter in Europe of the coronavirus crisis. To prove where this is a proper live call, we've actually taken that position off at a handful of basis points of profit this morning, and again, it shows the benefit of buying insurance when it's cheap, or the way you like to think of it is it's always best to buy an umbrella when it's not raining, because then you can always resell it when it is raining. So what we're looking to do over the next few weeks in this credit sell-off, um, it's gone from expensive to fair value to now a few stock-specific cheaps, and we're looking to start to increase exposure. As we speak today, crossover that the index is at 300 basis points over, um, that is reasonable value for the long term. Um, ultimately, we've built the weightings up to neutral now, and we'd look to build on that if the sell-off continues. Um, there's a small, however, though, um, in of equities so far have reacted more than credit, and credit could go a bit further if fund managers rather than just ETFs start to see outflows. It's worth mentioning we're still sticking to stock picking as well. It's a good, great environment for stock picking. Um, when we originally put these slides together, I was going to spend a bit longer on this, but just that there's still plenty of capital upside in the market from anything like a special situation in RB legacy capital. We wrote a piece earlier this year about 10 stock ideas available on our website, and some of them included in that. More defensive carry recently, so New York Life and Eon were bought out of um, more aggressive credit, and that again has been beneficial um, relative to buying the riskier down this credit spectrum. And then we're into buying core high yield, single Bs, double Bs, and still um, fastidiously avoiding triple C debt.
we came to this um, sell-off pretty defensive on both rates and credit. In hindsight, one should have been limit long rates, but where we did have rates, we had it in all the right places, so that's working pretty well. We're defensive in credit and have started to now add to our asset allocation as we believe we've gone from expensive to slightly cheap side of fair value. That's me wrapping up and I will now hand back over to James to host Q&A for the next 10 minutes. So thank you, gentlemen. Um, hopefully, if we could hear that correctly, the audio quality didn't sound great, but uh, we apologize for that in case you're having problems. We have had several questions. Uh, we had a question regarding portfolio positioning, which I think we've just answered, but it also asked questions about liquidity. Can you just give uh, the audience your impression on liquidity in the various core bond market segments? And are you able to trade uh, I mean, I know we invest in very liquid issues, but are we able to trade in the manner that we would like to? Um, it's Phil Milburn here. The short answer is yes, we are still. Um, it's just about to be fussy on price in that um, it's the nature of this crisis compared to the 0809. In 0809, there was a threat, an existential threat to the financial system, and all the brokers and all the fund managers ran away. In this case, there's a, an enormous threat to, obviously, human life, um, but to what the markets care more about is economic growth. Um, so can we still trade? Yes, it's hard to trade at yesterday's prices, but um, government bond futures uh, to manage duration, yeah, trading on about a one cent bid offer. I'm not kidding there at all. Government bonds, pretty liquid. Norway, Norway and New Zealand, slightly less liquid, but that just means a couple of basis points of bid offer. Um, credit has widened, and can you easily deal in 5, 10, 20 million? Yes, but could you deal in 50 to 100? No. Uh, but that's one of the reasons why, ever since David and I launched the funds, we've been very clear that our capacity for these funds is about 5 billion. Um, it's not, we're not trying to be the next enormous strategic bond fund manager. We're happy to run a smaller amount of money, as James said, in large liquid issues well. Um, in high yield, there is a bid, um, there's a screen bid, and there's a lower bid, and because we're the right side of this, we're trying to take advantage of that and look to buy bonds, as I referred to in the main part of the call, below the bid side of the market. But can we trade at these prices? Yes. Inevitably, in any market like this, the bid offer widens, um, but at the same time, the valuation opportunity increases, and your conviction, therefore, must increase as well. Um, so, so far, we have seen no issues with liquidity at all, but it comes with the caveat that we're on the right side of this, um, so it's easier for us to state that. Yeah, I'd, I'd just echo that. It's very important to be on the right side, so I, I have no idea what other people are pricing their funds, but just, again, to run through the list, we have no EM, either sovereign or credit. We have no hybrids. We have no AT1 and we have no triple C's in the strap funds. So those are all areas that if we do see a continued distress, we will add. Um, and again, I don't necessarily think we'll be in another 2008-2009 moment, but it's very important under those types of circumstance to have the opportunity and the flexibility to be able to add uh, a risk just the last thing I would say is also there's lots of things we don't own. Strictly speaking, if we just used value 
as the only criteria, um, then we would have even less duration in our portfolios than we have now. We haven't really done much because we do recognize, um, leaving technicals aside, we recognize that economic fundamentals will deteriorate. Uh, and as a result, we can justify, uh, we believe, continuing with what is um, a reasonably low uh, amount of duration. So we're not chasing that and running away uh, from government bonds quite yet. James. We have another question which has just come in so asking, is there any risk of a full-blown bond bear market with meaningful downside? Uh, it, it depends on the time frame. The answer is categorically yes. Is that likely to happen? I mean, right, but I'll give you a couple of scenarios. We go back to our desks and this, um, uh, I forget the name of, uh, Gilead's drug is found to be effective. Then you'll probably find the, the, the S&P up 15%. You'll find 10-year um, treasuries down 50 or 60 basis, sorry, the yields go up 50 or 60 basis points. In, in a blink, um, we go back to our desks and Merkel, Boris Johnson, um, and whoever else you might mention that's got a bit of cash in their pocket has said they're going to spend, you know, I don't know, a trillion, two trillion uh, on fiscal policy in the next three to six months. Difficult to see that happening. So, but there are clearly circumstances where even in the very short term, um, if it's a non-monetary response, um, the bonds can get killed. I see we're focusing a little bit also on the fall in energy prices. What we saw in, I'll give you, this is a spurious example. The price of face masks in China went up 2,000% in a week. So just to, you know, write everything off and say, oh, inflation's cratering and growth will collapse is a very, very dangerous strategy. Um, so is there a possibility of this actually triggering in the next six to 12 months a proper bond bear market? Yes. Do I think that probability has increased? Yes. Um, but it depends on the, the, the response of, um, uh, I would say, more fiscal rather than monetary uh, authorities. And if I can extrapolate that to the credit market rather than the government bond market, will it end in a big credit bear market? Um, credit spreads are pretty much directional to the direction of equities as well in that they are a risk on product. Um, at the moment, though, one of the reasons they're cushioned is it is very much a profit issue for large companies, and it's large companies that issue the bonds that we're investing in um, rather than a balance sheet issue. Um, should, should central banks cut? I really don't think so. What I think they should do um, is provide massive liquidity to the financial system and have a word uh, with the banks say you are not investing this in carry what you are doing is not foreclosing on small companies that are having a working capital problem because for example they can't source the parts from China for a few weeks so they're not going to be able to make stuff for a few weeks um, so very much um, unless the contagion moves in terms of economic sense from small co's to large co's and it's unlikely because in any downturn large co's tend to be very greedy with greedy. their working capital um, then ultimately we don't see it being a credit bear market 
We have uh, another question which is regarding emerging markets. Obviously, David, you just touched upon that very briefly in one of the points you just made, but at what point would you see emerging markets as potentially uh, a possible investment for the strategic bond fund? Well, as I'm sure most people know, we tend to look at hard currency emerging markets only. So that's um, primarily bonds issued by sovereigns, the, the, the probably more the top end of um, the EM complex, so China, India, Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, even Mexico, etc., would fall into that bucket. Um, we... At, at the moment, it, it, it's, it's far too soon. So when we beta adjust, so when we consider how those bonds have reacted compared with a broad basket of high yield, um, we would still prefer to, to invest in the broad bar basket of high yield uh, companies. So it's a, it's a relative game from our perspective. We, we find high yield relatively more attractive you know, if the spread on uh, the basket of, uh, of of bonds that we look at widens, you know, at 40 or 50 basis points in absolute terms, then that might be worth looking at. But but again, if that is um, met with similar or, or greater impact on a beta-adjusted basis in high yield, then we would continue to favour the diversified nature. Um, of the high yield market over emerging markets, so it's a slight cop out. As, as I think most people know, we we you know we have a, a team that is dedicated to looking at core large liquid listed markets. Um, so that's why we concentrate on hard currency. Your point or the question from one of the, the the viewers earlier about liquidity. Again, liquidity in that part of EM not brilliant. Um, I would imagine liquidity in the local currency stuff is nearly zero, but it's not a market that we're exposed to, thankfully. James. Perhaps one final question. I'm aware of the time uh, that we're taking uh, from our, our clients today, but um, could we have quite a lot of Italian investors on the line. Could you just give us your thoughts on the Italian bond market? Uh, yeah, well, again, we, we've generally, um, as people know, we, we've been quite happy to find other ways to play the Italian market. Um, Italy is back in the camp of being seen as a, as a credit proxy. So the spread to Germany has widened from, what, about um, 130 to about 180, give or take, at 10 years. Um, relative to where we were 12 months ago, that still looks quite reasonable. I think you know, whichever market we are in individually, we, we sometimes forget the the impact of the I'll say media of headlines in other parts of the world. So you can bet your bottom dollar um, that anybody in America or in Japan who's looking at the Italian market just now, uh, if they consider buying that the chief investment officer, the CEO, the risk manager will be all over them, uh, asking them to justify that. So it, it's very much moved to be a credit market. Most credit markets spend some time trading and following headlines. Um, and certainly from the perspective of Italy, um, everything in Europe, again, is back to being priced relative to Germany, and that includes France, um, even the Netherlands, Belgium, etc., which... which uh, where there's a, there's a different um, fiscal situation, perhaps. So 
easiest way from our perspective, we continue not to invest in the uh, domestic Italian bond market. Um, as Phil said, we have been adding um, a little bit to risk um, through uh, high yield indices in particular. Um, but at the moment, high, you know, Italy is trading as a credit, and as long as the headlines continue to be relatively bad, we expect a fall in Italian bond prices and also a, a, a continuation of the underperformance against uh, Germany uh, and to a lesser extent France. So, so zero at the moment and, and probably zero exposure um, in the short to medium term. Then if we get back to a similar spread um, uh, as we were a year ago, um, then it's possible um, that we might uh, consider buying some BTPs for the portfolio, but not, not, not just yet. James. Great. David, Phil, I'd like to thank you very much. I'd like to thank the audience. I'd just like to remind you uh, that you can give us some feedback via the Bright Talk um, site that you're looking at. So I would encourage you to do that, please. If we didn't answer your question during the call, we shall be following up with you via email. And it just uh, remains for me to thank you all again and to remind you that the next call will be on Friday, the 3rd of April. Hopefully the world will have moved on in the, in the month that will elapse between now and then. Um, and we'll have some resolution to the coronavirus, but we shall see. Um, but anyway, I'd like to thank the managers for their forthright views. Um, and as always, if you have any questions, please get in touch with your local sales representative. We're extremely keen to engage with you about these portfolios uh, and, and how they can assist you with preserving your client's capital in these rather difficult times. So thank you very much, everybody, and we wish you a good day and a very good weekend. Goodbye.